You know, as a jazz drummer, you don't need your eyes quite as much. You're listening to Legally Blind. You know, when you're trying to pick up a sandwich and you get a finger in two fillings and you've picked it up, it's just an absolute no, no. A podcast with Bobby Golder. Back on the back I went and uh, <laughs> no questions asked. <laughs> Today, Bobby chats to James Risden. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Legally Blind. My name is Bobby Golder, and I'm joined today by a wonderful human by the name of James Risden, a virtuoso recorder player, uh, playing at some of London's top venues. Um, a career alongside that, working for the RNIB and a number of other visual support establishments, and a Paralympic athlete. Wow, welcome to the show, James Risden. Thank you, Bobby. It's lovely to be here. I, I must say, I don't feel very much like a Paralympian. Lockdown has done nothing for my fitness. I'm not one of these people that's sort of taken up running or Zumba or anything. I've, I've done couch to microwave, basically. Couch to microwave. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, you are a Paralympian and no one can take that away from you. Exactly. I'm, I'm just not a shining example of the species anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it was great while it lasted. I mean, we're going to mainly be talking about, you know, your music and, and approaches to, to that and how your sights affected that and, and things like this. But I'm just intrigued. How are you a Paralympian? That's a question I ask myself every day, Bobby. <laughs> so when I went to school, I was the most uncoordinated, unsporty person you've ever met. You know, sport didn't run through my family. So I went to a special school in Worcester uh, that used to be run by RNIB. And we had a PE lesson mm. in which we were introduced to goalball. And I quite liked it. Um, I was, I, I would say, properly partially sighted in those days. What do you mean by properly partially sighted? Well, as opposed to what I am now, uh, which is kind of basically blind with a little bit of sight remaining. Um, but I, I could, okay. uh, you know, I could, I could write um, in print and read some of it back and draw pictures. And I even yeah. took a catch for our cricket team once and no one believed it was me because I was so hopeless at catching. <laughs> <laughs> I, get, I get that quite a lot with, uh, with ping pong. I'm kind of, yeah, I, yeah. I hit a smash and they're like, hang on. Yeah, How, they, you're, you're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> they used to say the only thing you can catch is a bus. <laughs> uh, I struggle so, with that more than more than yeah. the ball, to be honest. So anyway, we were introduced to goalball, and basically, um, for listeners who don't know it, goalball is a tremendous game, but it, it's played on a volleyball court, and the ball is thrown up and down the court, but there's a lot less sort of random movement than there might be in football, so it's much easier to keep. I suppose literally your eye on the ball, but um, your ears on the ball. Um, and I found that taking away that, that kind of um, unpredictability really suited me. And within a couple of years, I was on the, the school's uh, Great Britain team. Um, and then a, a year later, um, I was asked to go and train with the full Great Britain squad uh, as wow. they prepared to qualify for the Olympics. I didn't actually play in any of the qualifiers for the Olympics, but um, I was in the squad and trained with them, and then went to uh, Atlanta in 1996. So hang on, you didn't play any of the training games, but, but you... Well, I, didn't, I didn't play the, you, the you just You just won so straight we, in for the... Yeah, straight in for the for the Straight for in the for time, the big yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> now, we had a few tournaments. I remember going to um, Barcelona, and we went to Budapest once, and then we had a couple of European championships, and I loved it. And I played all the way through to about 2007, when the music started to knock at the door a bit more, and I realised that I couldn't... Uh, split myself in half every weekend when I wanted to do gigs 
uh, or, yeah. or train for goalball. And eventually, I just thought, actually, my long-term commitment is to music. So uh, let me let me throw my eggs into that basket. Uh, and then I got married, and then we had kids, and that was absolutely the end of being able to go away for the weekend. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what, a, what a thing to be able to say. You know, aged 18, you think, well, Olympics, tick. Now yeah. I can go on and do, yeah. I can do, on, do, do the rest of my life. It's insane. I mean, you have never seen a more unlikely Paralympian uh, candidate in the build-up or, or, or frankly, in the, in the years since. Uh, but it was the most amazing experience, I must say. And it was just starting to go into the age of being professional, which, of course, for me was dreadful because it meant we had to train loads more and they were interested <laughs> what school we got on the bleep test and things like that so um, you want it to just be a kind of you know an evening hobby every now and then and then you'd fly off to the olympics for it, it, four years <laughs> it was gloriously um, amateur uh, and I'm, well, sure... I'm, I'm ashamed to say in 2021 that this is the first i've heard of goalball it's a um, great game, I must say. I say it's a better game to play than it is to watch. So we that's, went... that's true of a lot of sports. I <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but actually, when when you can't cheer and you're, you're told to kind of uh, be quiet and uh, you've got to be absolutely, really, really, you know, you've got to be able to hear a pin drop. It yeah. it's, 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 it builds to the tension actually as a spectator. It, it makes it it makes it kind of a, an interesting atmosphere. You can't you're not shouting and jeering all the time. So it has the. It has the kind of silent intensity of like a snooker match. Exactly. I was going to say, it's a bit but, like snooker. But with the yeah. energy and the actual spectacle of, you know, of a, of a football match. Of an end-to-end game, yeah, exactly. You've hit it in one. You should, you should uh, yeah. Yeah, go, go and watch it on, on YouTube. There's some really good clips around. Um, thankfully, not maybe, me. Maybe I should do a reverse of your career and give up music for a career <laughs> as a goalball player. Play goalball. <laughs> <laughs> well... I mean, uh, good luck. I, I wish you every success, but uh, I, I, I think it'll be music's loss, to be honest. Oh, well, that's very, <laughs> very kind of you to say so. And actually, to bring it back to music, um, I've actually done two Paralympics because in 2012 I played in the closing of the London Paralympic Games with the Power Orchestra yes. and Coldplay. And I that, read was, this about you. that was just the most cool gig ever. He's going a great big warm welcome. I don't think I'll ever do a gig that's any cooler than that. The thing I remember most, the most bizarre day of my life, was going to a, a massive uh, kind of car park in Dagenham in order to do a walkthrough rehearsal. Um, and all you could hear was Coldplay rehearsing in the middle of this car park, the sort of disembodied Coldplay tracks as they rehearsed. <laughs> they played pretty much all day. So we had a, what amounted to a private concert to the smallest crowd they've ever played to uh, <laughs> in a car park in Dagenham. And then, and then sometime after lunch, we, we all traipsed uh, across the car park, sat down in some plastic chairs, pretended to play for half a minute, and then got up and walked back again. And that was the rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> it was quite fun. So Coldplay needed a, uh, a two-hour warm-up. You did a little, a little tune-up and, <laughs> and go and enjoy, it. I mean, enjoy the are. sunshine. But yeah, no, amazing. So we, we were given the task of coming up with our own kind of mix of Strawberry Swing, uh, which we did. Um, wow. Which was amazing. So just playing playing a, a treble recorder in Strawberry Swing. Led by Charles Hazelwood, 17 performers make up the Parrot Orchestra.
During all this time, do I understand your vision is deteriorating? Yeah. What kind of yeah. rate are we talking about and what kind of stages of life? Uh, fairly slow to start with and then it's sort of gone a bit exponential. So uh, um, last year, actually in lockdown, I was noticing that things were a bit blurry. And then um, just before Christmas, I, I had a, a bit of glaucoma, which flared up. And since then, it's it's gone very, very blurry. So I, I feel like for the first time, I'm properly blind. Really? In the last yeah. year? Yeah, I'd say in the last year, I feel sort of properly like a blind person. So before, I've always felt like um, a blind person that could see a bit, um, <laughs> if that yeah. makes any sense. And now I, I, I'm beginning to realise what it is actually not to rely on your sight at all and do things entirely by ear. And it's amazing, even in this last couple of months, how, how, how you know, realising how much vision is a shortcut to doing loads and loads of stuff finding yeah. things putting things down in the right place not knocking things over um yeah. getting around and about you know um finding clothes to wear Any, anything you care to mention you know sight is the quickest way to do it and and when you stop relying on your sight you you kind of um you kind of realize how long some things take and that's the thing i find really really annoying uh, so i've mm. found i found myself being very impatient this year I'm sorry to hear that. No, you're, it's you're fine. A very, you're a very, you're a very. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just <laughs> speaking of not being able to see stuff properly. I've just dislodged my mic without realizing. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you were obviously born with some kind of sight loss. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah. But what could you see during your uh, your childhood? Oh, good question. It's a long time ago now, Bobby. Um, I could see enough to ride the front of a tandem around school quite fast. You know, we're doing 25 miles an hour around the school perimeter road. Uh, I could do that Great. fairly safely. Um, uh, so, yeah, had a, had a good bit of functional vision, but I'm forever grateful that I was... I, I kind of think of it as being brought up as a blind person. So I was I future-proofed before future-proofing was even a thing. Um, I, I was taught to use a white cane and taught Braille at primary school and taught to touch type. Uh, and those are skills that I couldn't be without now. It sounds like we've had us uh, in terms of early years, of, you know, teenage years. Say, we, we've had similar sight experiences, but I think the huge difference is um, because I didn't go to a special school for blind yeah. people or visually impaired yeah. people. Um, I learned to touch type, um, but I didn't learn to use a cane. I, I never learned braille. I find it more relaxing, and I pretty much always did um, find it more relaxing walking with a cane than, than trying to see. Um, I've used a cane once in my life. And, <laughs> was and, it to move a um, wheelie bin or to smack a car or something? Or was it to, to use for its proper purpose? No, it was because I needed to go shopping, Christmas shopping, uh, in Stratford Westfield Shopping Centre, which I knew was going to be absolutely rammed. And I didn't want to have to deal with, you know, crowds of people, not social distancing. Yeah. So, yeah. so I brought my cane along. Uh, and people, I was, I was amazed. People just got out of the way. They said, oh, I'm so sorry. Are you okay, mate? Um, well, they do. They leap out of their way like lemmings. It's quite, I mean, if you can see them, it's quite funny, apparently, because they just sort of dive out the way and, and throw themselves against walls. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's quite funny. I've only had a few bad experiences. One where, um, I tell you what people do is, is in crowded places, they sort of leap over your cane. And I get quite offended by that because I feel like my cane is my personal space. Right, it's not someone's toy. So, yes, I don't like it when people sort of leap over it. Right. And then they sort of 
overtake me and then realise I've got a cane and they sort of have to do a bit of fancy footwork to get round me. And I always try and uh, smack their ankles with the cane. If <laughs> you said you went to a, a special school. Was it for blind children or for children with all kinds of disabilities? Actually, it was just for um, blind and partially sighted kids. Um, I, it's really interesting because I'm sure at the time it never registered with me, but I'm sure there were um, kids in my year who had other disabilities, other health conditions, probably quite serious. And I know, very sadly, a couple of people in my year at secondary school have already passed on. Uh, and, oh, I, and I guess it's only when you get to my age now that you realise kind of um, some of the people that you went to school with were particularly ill and had life-limiting conditions. But at the time, you know, we just ran around the playground and didn't, didn't even worry about it, didn't know about it, didn't even think about yeah. it. So, you know... Um, some people can't see, some people can see a bit, some people have got brittle bones or, you know, some people have got other yeah. conditions that manifest themselves. Um, you know, as I say, you grow up a bit and you learn a bit more about the world and, and blindness and so on that you, you put two and two together and you think, actually, I wonder if that person had a lot more going on than we ever realised. Um, so, yeah. yeah, but it was a great, great, um, great experience. Really, really enjoyed it. And, and you know, I, I don't think I would have gone to the Paralympics had it not been for the fact I went to a special school. Um, really interesting. Now. I was about to ask about that because, it, personally, I feel very grateful that I went to, I don't want to use the term normal school, but I, I went to a school with other kids who didn't have disabilities. And I feel very grateful for that because I learnt to sort of relate to everybody as I would do when I when I left school yeah, yeah so I was about to ask you whether in what ways you, you feel like it's affected how you interact with people or yeah really good question um I think my parents summed it up as uh either being normal in a abnormal school or abnormal in a normal school um <laughs> which is a bit blunt and, and it's maybe a bit more subtle than that but uh, I, I think yeah. there's a lot of truth in that actually and and actually what I took away from being at school uh, especially secondary school um, was I suppose social confidence I went to school as a pretty shy uh, 11 year old but uh, going to a boarding school aged 11 um, mixing with lots of other people I would never have mixed with normally in my local area uh, was was mm really great actually and I think it gave me a lot of confidence and self-belief um yeah and and I made sure that I you know because I knew the problem of uh, I you know I knew the danger of being in a special school is that you only ever interact with other blind people and it's a bit of a goldfish bowl and um you can suddenly come out the other end of it um with with frankly not not particularly well developed social skills um so um, I was about to say actually yeah, <laughs> well, my social skills are a bit lacking. <laughs> um, so I was really lucky. I had an outlet every every week. I went to play in a local youth orchestra, um, which pulled uh, people from all the local schools, uh, and I was the only blind person in there. So uh, every week okay. I had a um, you know I had time out of school, which was really great, uh, alongside other people of my age, uh, just in music, and that was really fabulous. It was a bit of a lifeline, to be honest. I think when I went to university, it wasn't really that I was kind of socially challenged or, or challenging. It was more that it just didn't hold much excitement for me because I'd been away from home. I'd cooked, you know, I, I knew how to cook. I'd been to pubs. I'd travelled, you know, fairly extensively for a teenager uh, with goldball and stuff. So 
it didn't really hold much excitement for me, to be honest. Really interesting. Going to uni for me was such a huge change, and I was yeah. I was so nervous. Um, yeah. Not necessarily about the work, but just the social side of things. Like a, a whole city full of new people. I was okay explaining the condition to people, but yeah. it's so so many unknowns. It's difficult, isn't it? Because you you just don't know what to expect, and nor does anybody. But most people who can see have a sort of shortcut. You know, they, they've got vision, which is a real shortcut in in life, um, yeah. and gets you out a lot of problems. And we don't have that, so you don't know who's in the common room when you go, and you don't know who's in the in the pub. Um, you know, in my case, you, you can't see if if um, you know a girl is obviously attached to another bloke already. <laughs> so you oh. know. Uh, I I would find that out pretty quickly. (laughs) (laughs) I found the work a bit more challenging because one of the things about going to a special school in those days was that everything sort of landed on your desk miraculously. So there there was no kind of need to scan stuff in or go to a library and even think about how stuff gets turned from print into Braille. So um, the one thing I would say about my education at that time um, is that it didn't really pre- prepare me um, practically for the academic side. I think academically we were, you know, fine. We could hold our own. It was no no yeah. massive issue. But, you know, having to work out how you get your lecture notes and so on and how yeah. you access books in a library, that was all really new to me and took loads of time. And I felt like by the time I had my stuff in, in a format I could access, I'd, I'd already done as much work as anyone else. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess having having the confidence... Having the confidence to say, look, I have this condition, I need it uh, presented in this format. Yeah. That's, I think, most of the battle. It's yeah. one of the things yeah. I learned really early on was just explain to people and they'll understand. I noticed on your website you barely mention your visual impairment at all. It's very much, I'm a recorder player, I love this instrument. Um, why did you choose to kind of, I, I didn't, don't want to say hide it, but... What led you to present yourself as a recorder player in this way? Lots of things, really. But I think one, one thing that really influenced me was... Um, so by the time I put my website together, I was already working as a music officer at RNIB, where I worked alongside an amazing lady called Sally Zimmerman, who was a music advisor for many, many years. And she said something to me one day, very early on in my time there, that um, we don't deal with disabled musicians. We deal with musicians who have disabilities. Because for the time that you're playing your instrument, and you're probably the same, right? For the time you're playing your instrument, you're not actually disabled. There's nothing disabling you from playing your instrument. Um, So the route that you take to get there uh, may have many more challenges. You know, um, how do you learn the music? How do you find a teacher, I suppose, in the first instance, who who knows how to teach a blind person? How do you actually get to the venue? Um, All those kind of practical stuff. Um, has uh, present challenges, but for the time that you're playing, you're 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 just a musician, and um, that I, I I really took that to heart. And I remember a headline when I was about nine, uh, and it was uh, something like blind virtuoso, and I and I I couldn't bear it, and I and I had a very strong feeling then that I didn't want to be known as a blind musician. It wasn't really even about kind of wanting to be yeah. accepted or, or, or treated like everybody else. It was just that I couldn't bear the fact that that was what people focused on because um, it, really, it didn't really make any yeah. difference to me. I think if you know that I can't see, you would probably recognise the fact that I can't see. That's not something I picked up on. 
but maybe I'm yeah. not the best person to, to be judging. <laughs> the blind judging the blind. Um, yeah, and, and I talk, talk about Braille and memorising music, but I talk about memorising music in a, in a way that is a, a kind of feature of how I play, um, rather than a necessity of being blind. Uh, and I've, I've used that to kind of my advantage, really. I've made a bit of a thing of it, and I've done uh, lectures and workshops and written a few articles about it. So, so um, I decided... I decided that I wanted to uh, sort of position myself as just being a recorder player um, and where relevant, I'd mention that I can't see. I'm a bit like you. I, you know, I, I try not to mention it unless it's relevant, um, in which case I'm very happy to mention it. But sometimes I find that saying that I have a disability and I've got to the stage where I am now with an eyesight condition does kind of put my head above the crowd a little bit in terms of the perception of who I'm applying to or who I'm writing to. Do you find the same? Um, I don't think it makes any difference anymore, to be honest. I mean, I, I guess, if anything, it's probably made me a little bit more memorable. So people probably remember seeing a blind guy playing the recorder. Um, hopefully they remember it, that he was reasonably good, but they probably remember visually a blind guy playing the recorder without music. And that, I think, probably stays in people's memories longer and it's probably had a, a positive impact in 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 my musicianship anyway i think um you know the fact that you have to learn music and the fact that you memorize it i think gives me a much deeper engagement with the music up front um so by the time i come to rehearsals i i often notice that i'm probably more prepared than anyone else uh, and it's my way of coping you know it's my, my way of making sure that i'm as good as anyone else because I think one it's of not about that... being as good James I, I, I think it's a superpower I think it's <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> Greta superpower. Thunberg always talks about her autism as a superpower and yeah, I, yeah. when she said that I, I'm like yes it, like, it is you know? yeah. it is like we, we have this power to show up at rehearsal and you know okay it's a power that we we have to bring with us because there's no option of us showing unprepared to rehearsal that's the thing though isn't it because you can't you can't do anything else so if i didn't use that superpower as you put it i, I wouldn't be able to function in that rehearsal unless i've yeah. it, it kind of is a superpower but it's also a, i think a bit of a limitation as well I'm, i must say i'm i'm not one of these people that says you know i can do anything i want to do i i think there is a little bit of a a glass ceiling and it's not a glass ceiling that anyone has imposed uh, but i think it's a glass ceiling that is just a factor that you know if you're going to learn all your music there's a limited amount of time in which you can do that and work. Yeah. So um, unless you're fortunate enough to be playing music all the time that you already know, you're going to have to do some learning. And that, that takes a lot of time. I think playing from memory is something that audiences love. I, I certainly find that it, it helps me engage with the audience, even if I can't see them. Why the recorder, James? <laughs> Do you know what? That, that's um, a really good question. Um, had you asked me, maybe when I was about 15 to 20, I would have said the clarinet's my first instrument. Um, but the recorder just kind of um, took over, really. I suppose I found more opportunities. Um, and I guess, yeah, just more opportunities came my way and the, and the clarinet sort of fell away. When I went to university, there, was, you know, there wasn't really an orchestra I could join. Um, I played for a couple of 
terms in the Swansea Wind Band, and and that was my clarinet career sort of fizzled out. So. Sounds like you peaked. You peaked early. I peaked in, uh, early. I did. <laughs> the Swansea Wind Band. Yeah. Well, the only gig I remember playing for them was a, a washed-out women's rugby international at Swansea uh, on a Saturday <laughs> afternoon, which is. I can think of worse gigs. There are probably worse gigs. I'm struggling to think of any at the minute. It was freezing. I've played many worse gigs. Than that. <laughs> what on earth is it like to play in the Power Orchestra? It looks so much fun. <laughs> it is really fun. I think it's probably um, it's probably the most fun I've had actually as a as a recorder player because. You know, normally when you play the recorder, you might be in a recorder orchestra or a quartet. You might be doing early music. It's quite rare that you get to mix it with like electric guitars, sitars, clarinets, a string section, brass yeah. section, percussion. You know, singers, all sorts of stuff. And and we've just had some of the most amazing gigs and and workshops and rehearsals I've done of being with parrot orchestras just because it brings together a really eclectic range of people um and actually yeah so the other point about it for me particularly is that um I, I I've got into contemporary music um in the last couple of decades and I've realized the older I get the the more time and energy and coffee it takes me to learn other people's music um, time energy and coffee uh, yeah and a lot of recorder repertoire has a lot of notes it, it's got a lot of techniques it looks very very sort of difficult and complex on the score especially in braille and mm-hmm. i've learned a few pieces um but i've realized now that i'm not going to be able to play all the pieces that i'd love to play as a recorder player and i've kind of made peace with that because parrot orchestra and other similar projects give me an outlet to be really contemporary and experimental and find my own voice. So rather than spending all my time learning other people's music, I, I can actually be part of the creative process myself. So much fun. Um, so you mentioned you read, you read Braille. I do. Um, and you read music Braille. I'm not someone that, that reads any kind of Braille, actually. When did you learn music Braille? Oh, gosh. I, it took me ages to learn. I learned in a few bursts i suppose so i started when i was about 11 um and i properly got to grips with it i would say when i did a-level music um my trouble was that i learned everything by ear so by the time i got to um secondary school and starting braille music i'd already got grade seven recorder and grade five clarinet i think so i was playing music miles beyond what i could actually read i'd learned it all by ear so initially i found braille music really really limiting and um, unnecessary, but what I realised is that um, I learnt a lot of it quite wrong. So, a lot of the pieces I learnt at that time I can still remember absolutely, but I've had to relearn them and unlearn some of the things that I picked up by accident. Interesting. Um, yeah. And then I would say in the, in the in the couple of years after that, I made the transition to what I think of as being a braille musician, and now. I find it very disconcerting if I have to learn anything without Braille now because I like to know how things are written down and I like to see what all of the directions are and, you know, I like to see what's going on. And I find that that helps yeah, me with my, my visual memory of the piece. It's um, nice to have all the information. Yeah. I've, I've, you know, still learned almost all of my music by ear. Yeah. But um, sometimes I look at the score or a piano reduction and I look at even the first bar and I'm like, oh, I didn't realise that's what you know, I've got yeah. the notes right, but there's a certain <laughs> certain articulation or, a, you know, a direction yeah. that I think, yeah. oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. 
People always ask me about the eye and what's wrong with your eye and why can't you see and all this stuff. And I have absolutely no idea. I, I remember kind of doing biology lessons at school and looking at eyes and thinking, I just don't understand it. And I still don't really understand the eye as much as a blind person should. I'm so relieved to hear this, James, because I'm not I keep... really interested. Do you know what I mean? It's like I'm not my that interested either. Doesn't work. I don't take it apart and look why it doesn't work. I just think, oh <laughs> shit, my computer doesn't work. Even back at school, when we when we started doing the eyes at school, and you know, even the teacher would be like, "Well, of course, Bobby will be the expert on this," and they're like, "Oh no." <laughs> So therefore, I know how my ankle works. You know, it's, it's right. Not yeah. Well, the opposite. It's like I mean, I have no movement in my legs. Therefore, I know every single muscle in my leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny that brings us on to kind of what people say, doesn't it? And the funny things that people say. And and oh, I guess everybody so much, that you're interviewing for this mind. podcast will just have loads of different answers uh, and loads of different things. But I do find it interesting. It's funny how it's socially acceptable to ask a blind person what you can see. And in fact, yeah. you've already done it, which is fine. I didn't think twice about it. But you wouldn't, like, ask a deaf person, you know, if I drop this pin really quietly, do you think you'd hear it land? It's you know, amazing, or, isn't it? You know, or... or, or Someone in a, wheel- wheelchair. in a wheelchair. How far can you walk? Yeah, do you reckon you can make it over there to that doorway? You know, um, <laughs> you just don't do it, do you? Oh, I'm cringing <laughs> at the thought of it. <laughs> you know, so it's um, it's funny how social attitudes and social kind of conventions are, are different for dis- different disabilities, I find. And I think people are quite open about talking about sight, even though it's the thing that apparently people fear losing most. So if you ask people, like, is that true? do you fear most? Well, yeah, I, I, remember, I remember hearing somewhere that, you know, if you ask people, are you most scared of not being able to walk or losing your sight? They pretty much all say losing your sight. Really? It's one of those things that people just really losing seem to fine. fear losing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and when people ask you what you can see, it's very difficult to say because I, I want to say like, well, you tell me what you can see, and I'll tell you if I can see the same things. We'll compare notes. And we'll work out. Yeah, we'll compare notes because I don't know what I can see. I don't. I don't really know. I can't imagine what it is like to be fully sighted. I imagine it's really, really tiring because you're just bombarded with visual information all the time. <laughs> um, and, and it must be really tiring. And, and I can kind of swan through life and ignore most of the things that I see because I don't really see them properly. So I, I feel in a way it's kind of nice, really. I can sort of relax a bit. I just yeah. wish I could close my ears, don't you? I wish I could close my ears like I can close my eyes. I feel like I open my ears a lot when I, when I was losing my vision um, yeah. to take in musical detail and to, to just generally be a bit more receptive of the world around me. And yeah. uh, it just means every time there's a, you know, a motorbike going past or a helicopter or a siren, I'm just like, no, please yeah, stop. No. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like and, and, my and, partner and, and, Anna is always, it's kind of become hypersensitive on behalf of me. You know, we'll, we'll be walking <laughs> along and a motorbike revs its engine and she kind of covers my ears. Yeah, yeah. And presumably people think that you can hear... Uh, better, it's a superpower. That's another a classic, another FAQ. Like, do you have the ears of a bat or something? Wow, yeah. <laughs> when I was about 20, I went to the, I had to go to the doctor for something really innocuous. And um, instead of our regular family doctor, I was seen by the locum doctor, who was about, well, he seemed about 712 to me. He seemed really, really old. And so I sat down and he read my notes. And um, before he'd even asked me what I was there for, he, he, I remember watching him, he sat back in his chair and 
uh, sort of put his hand up and, and stroked his chin. And he said, yes, very, very interesting being blind. Very interesting. I used to know a man with no arms and legs. Oh, God. <laughs> so that's definitely the most odd thing that anyone said to me. Wow. Um, that's... Thankfully, it doesn't happen very often. Most people are, are... Actually, the thing that I find most now is that people don't say anything. They, they're kind of really, really reticent in, in saying anything, and they, they would prefer to say nothing and not offend you rather than say something and possibly offend you. I think it's a sort of yeah. unintended consequence of, of political correctness, which I think is turning into a, a bit of a bad thing. There's a, this almost this social um, undercurrent that anything you say about a disability is going to be offensive in some way. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. I find I have to really... I have to really go on about it to let people know that I'm completely fine talking about it. Yeah, you're all right. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ask a question. Um, say something. Because actually, if you can't see someone, the worst thing they can do is just say silent. You know right, I mean? yeah. Look people who say to me, oh, I saw you in the street the other day. I was behind you in the queue in Tesco. Well, why didn't you say hello? I know. Um, the, the number of you know. uh, conversations that we've we've not had because we haven't yeah. s- spotted a best friend across the street. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, in, interesting times what people say to you, but but actually, I think when you when you get older, you you just kind of you just accept that people are a bit uncertain, and and I think you know we've had twenty five years of the Disability Discrimination Act, and people are just a bit uncertain now what they can and can't do and what they can and can't say. So they've kind of gone into this. They've kind of retreated and said nothing, um, mm. which I don't think does anyone any good, really. I, I'm, I'm all for opening up the conversation and, you know, finding out what it's like for other people. Completely agree. That's part of what I'm trying to do here. Yeah, yeah exactly. And good on you. I had this hilarious thing at, at Scope. Um, when I left Scope, um, my job was taken by a girl who couldn't hear anything. She had Usher's syndrome. So she had, um, I think, night blindness and... Um, um, her eyesight wasn't brilliant, but she was totally deaf. So she used to lip read. And of course, I can't lip read. So it was hopeless, us trying to have any meetings or anything. We did everything via email. So I would, I would email her and said, uh, Hi, Emma, I'm going home now. Have a nice evening. Cheers, James. And then I'd wait there because I think I don't want to go because that's really rude if she just sees an email from me saying I'm going home and she looks over and I've already gone. Yeah. So I used to sort of sit there and wait and then eventually I'd say, read your email. <laughs> you <know? laughs> it's hilarious. And then she'd answer back and I thought, oh shit, I can't, I can't understand what you're saying now because uh, I, can't, I can't read sign language and I can't lip read. So we were totally horribly incompatible, but it was really fun. We got on quite well by email. It was, you know, um, that's perfectly fun. I think it's very interesting what what blindness looks like to other people because I I actually find a lot of people tell me, you know, oh, if you hadn't told me, I I would never have guessed. But then I I haven't got one eye or, or, you know, like two heads or something. My my eye socket isn't falling out of my. Yeah, I don't have a sign that says warning blind person inhabiting this body, you know. Yeah. I think it's not necessarily that. I mean, there are a few sort of killer lines, aren't there? Always that people people have had said to them, but it, it, it's it's the sort of cumulative effect of of either being kind of imbued with superpowers, mm. uh, mythological proportions, or or just kind of incapable of making a cup of tea or or <laughs> you know uh, understanding anything. And I, and I yeah. yeah. It, it's all too easy for it to be a sort of deficit model. You know what what can't you do that I can do? Um, uh, and and 
I think it's quite interesting to sort of flip that on its head sometimes. So your your superpower kind of thing um, is 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 an interesting way of looking at it, I suppose. Uh, and maybe I'm conditioned into thinking you like it as a deficit, but it's actually also positive sometimes in that you, you think differently, maybe you, you are differently, your whole life experience is, is differently shaped. When I yeah. remember going to buy a suit for a concert, it was a, a really good professional gig I had, but I didn't have a DJ, so I went into um, a chain of Mossbros, other suit sellers exist on the high street, and um, um, the guy said, oh, I'm sorry, sir, I don't think we can help you. I said, well, what do you mean? You're Moss Bros. You sell suits. He said, no, but they're all upstairs. <gasps> so, <laughs> so um, I said, no, no, stairs is fine. I've got stairs in my own home. I, I'm, 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 I'm good on stairs. That's fine. He said, really? really? I'm an expert. And he was genuinely taken aback. And, and, and you could feel the panic rising through him as he thought, oh, shit. I've got oh. a guy here who wants to buy a suit. It's a sale. Uh, so I can't really turn it down, but it's upstairs, and, and what am I going to do? And anyway, he called up to Gary, just, who was just on, go the, upstairs. on the first floor. <laughs> well, he called up to Gary, he said, Gary! And, and Gary came down, and he said, what is it? He said, we've got a, a, a gentleman here, he's, he's blind, and uh, he wants to wants to buy a suit. Um, and he said, oh, okay. So I could see enough where the stairs were, so I went forward to the stairs, mind, mind the stairs, mind the stairs, and, and so I bounded up them two at a time just to make a point. Yeah. And then when I got to the top, he sort of applauded me, he said, oh, well done, sir, well done. Oh, God. I said, oh, my God, you know, if only they knew why I was buying this suit, you know, I had a, a, a proper, you know, concerto uh, performance, and yeah. if only they knew what I was using it for, they would have probably sort of thought a little bit differently, but they had obviously absolutely no... They'd never met a disabled person or even a blind person, and they'd probably never stop to think about what to do if one should cross the threshold into the shop, apart from panic. And it's this immediate <laughs> assumption that if you're blind, you're completely incapable of anything. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. here on Legally Blind, we're here to promote the idea that if you're blind, you can do absolutely anything you like. As long as it's legal. As long as, long as it's legal. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't exempt you from, from, from the law. I've often, I've often wanted to explore the world of blind criminality because I reckon it must be quite difficult to be a criminal if you can't see, but I'm equally sure there must have been Maybe you should criminals. try it. And I, yeah, thanks for your career changes. If the recorder plane dries up, I might turn to criminality, <laughs> <laughs> breaking in entry. But First blind person what, to rob a bank. <laughs> I'm just wondering what kind of criminal pathways uh, lend themselves to uh, people with visual impairments. Um, I can, so I can imagine like computer hacking or, or fraud or stuff, but... I think um, you're being quite discriminatory here, James, by yeah, assuming, am, yeah, by yeah, assuming yeah. that a blind person can't rob a bank. I'm imposing my limit, limiting thoughts on other people. <laughs> Just before we go, is there anything you, you'd like to plug? I know you've got a couple of albums available. Uh, Echoes of Arcadia is my CD, and it's a, a lovely CD uh, of solo recorder music, and some people have been very kind in what they've said about it, and uh, I'm very proud of it, and it's available from jamesrisden.co.uk, and uh, makes a great coaster as well. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's been really nice talking to you. Thanks for inviting me on. It's a real pleasure. Thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Cheers. Next time on Legally Blind. So obviously, to the actors, they've always got me right bang in the middle of the front row. Not just there, with a telescope shoved up to my eye. Pippa Cleary. Don't for one minute think that if you can't read music, you can't compose. (laughs) 
Thanks for listening.